Welcome to another episode of Saturday Night Combos. My name's Ashley, and this is my cousin, confidant, and co-host, Reagan. And here we like to discuss things that are going on in the world. And what's going on in our own lives. Nothing is off the table here. So pull up a chair and join us for another Saturday Night Conversation. Dress. Oh, wow. Buenas noches, amigos. You know, hey guys. Spanish, right, Ashley? <laughs> I do. I, I was just like, we're starting this in a new, we're like, episode 28. Welcome to Spanish Saturday Night Convos. Fiesta! <laughs> hey guys, welcome to saturday night convos um which we are recording on july 4th so happy independence day yes i know i'm i want to be american i think proud to be american <laughs> just so we can go places <laughs> yeah okay. but i am excited though we just booked uh camping trip so that oh, is exciting nice. yes yeah where are you exciting. going Alora gorge oh okay yeah. where i've been like this will i think be my fourth time oh i've never Liam's been or, is it nice uh, <laughs> it is well it's like a gorge and you can go like tubing and uh like there's stuff to do around nice. like the area so that's yeah. nice and yeah. i don't know it'll be fun yeah yeah very nice yeah i have no plans yet this summer <laughs> i might book an airbnb somewhere but otherwise that i have no clue <laughs> there's there's um one i keep on hearing on the radio it's uh uh in colchester and it's the grape houseboats oh. so you can stay in a houseboat that's cool huh. yeah you want to stay in a boat for a couple days that's pretty cool I know they have those at West, but I didn't know they had them down there. Huh. They do. Yeah. I know. I really wish the border was open right now. So, you know, I could think about going across it. But. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if it would work out just because, like, my schedule and I also work on weekends and it's, it's yeah it's busy and um but yeah we have worked it out and hopefully it it all works out nice Mm -hmm. hopefully the weather's good for you and we say that and it like rains but well i mean it's better than heat true it's better than the 40 degree heat they had at west this week yes oh gosh with all the forest fires god yeah. If you're listening out there, you're in our thoughts. Yes, I was just gonna say that. Yeah. That and like Seattle, like it's it's I've yeah. heard, I've heard things haven't haven't been too yep. kosher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this week we're going to tackle I don't know how you'd put it, Ashley. There's been a lot going on this month in Canada with reckoning on race and uh, minorities and mainly natives indigenous people um with the finding of graves i guess um of children in residential schools and whatnot so there's been a lot of um i don't know how would you describe it ashley um like what we're going to so i guess we should start off by saying that you know, obviously Canada is a colonized country. So, you know, when um, people's people first or colonizers first came to Canada, indigenous peoples were originally here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the French and the Dutch and yep. English came here. Mm-hmm. There were technically we're all immigrants. Mm-hmm other than the indigenous peoples mm-hmm. um so we are a whole population 
of immigrants. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the unique thing about Canada is we're all immigrants. Um, so to preface that, we then have, you know, 300 years of history with uh, relations with Indigenous people on how that was handled. And not all of it's, I like to say the word kosher, not all mm-hmm. of it's pretty. And a lot of people don't know about the history because, you know, at first their their history or their, their relations were pretty good you know they they worked with indigenous peoples like you know a lot of it was to do with the fur trade because at the time the colonizers felt like you know they they had something to gain Mm -hmm. in terms of the fur trade Mm -hmm. and after the eight the war of 1812 that that relationship didn't really seem beneficial so they were like well how can we like deal with deal with this indigenous population Mm. yes yes so So, what did you learn um sorry i'm just looking up something what did you learn when you were in school about the native population like let's say elementary school or high school what did you learn about the natives um I don't remember learning about residential schools or like very small little snippet. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. And, and like, just to preface, like, so residential schools ran from 1870 to 1996. So we were in like, we are actually, they ran a lot longer than that. So, so 1996. Well, we'll get into it. Okay. Because um, the notion of a residential school started much, much earlier. But we will it, get into it. So okay. what were we talking about? Um, okay. So what, um, what we learned, like what is actually being taught in the Canadian education system. Um, I, again, I don't have the greatest memory of like my early years just because I have a seizure disorder and like Mm -hmm. my memory lapse Mm -hmm. um but I don't remember that much yeah no like I sorry no go on I remember so there's reserves close to you and there's also reserves close to me Mm -hmm. um I remember like driving through reserves Mm -hmm. and like my mom self-teaching us Mm mm-hmm and about the poverty levels on reserves. Yeah. So I had that education, like self-education. Mm-hmm. But other than that, not a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. So it's kind of the same way. Like in elementary school, we learned that natives told stories and they passed stuff down and whatnot. Um, and you know, we drove through the res- the reserves and whatever else, but the term residential school for me didn't come up until like university. Like, it may it may have been mentioned in one of my high school law classes, but I mm-hmm. don't remember. It was always a very whitewashed history with natives, right? Yeah. And being like they were BFFs with the um, with the French and with the English until you know they started doing stuff and whatever else like the Indian Act. I didn't learn about the Indian Act until second year, university, right? Yeah. So the education here is very whitewashed, as it is elsewhere with unsavory um, parts of history, right? But I think it's important to know and you probably agree to know the whole concept right the the whole story right oh 100% without that I mean now you've got people here since they discovered these mass graves in an uproar I mean yes it's horrible it's horrible but if 
we knew the entire history of Canada and the way that not only natives, but other minorities were treated as they came over, we wouldn't be surprised by this. Mm-hmm. We can be shocked, but we shouldn't be surprised if we knew no, the whole story. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with everything you're saying. And I am also, there's there was like ripples that there were graves. Yep. So here there's the indigenous population saying, we already knew about this. Mm-hmm. And this is re-triggering for us. And then here's the other Canadian population being like, oh my God. Yeah. Wait, there's yeah. that many people that died? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a really disconnect yeah. of what actually happened. Yeah. Because us as the, you know, rest of the population don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about, oh my God. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are in the States and you're listening, you can take what we're talking about with natives and kind of what Ashley was just saying and compare that with the history of slavery. Oh, yeah. The way that a lot of people try to turn away from that and how critical race theory has become politicized exactly you can put it towards any like marginalized group in in theory yeah like i don't know it's i mean it is what it is right i mean Mm -hmm. all we can do is study it learn from it and do better that right that that's what history is there exactly right okay let's get into so we're just going to cover sort of the history of natives a very watered down history of natives not watered down but brief um and then we're gonna look at some other um immigrant groups that came to canada because for me yes this is shocking yes it's horrible but as i said this is nothing new and the native population is just kind of the tip of the iceberg and the largest example of the dark history that Canada has with welcoming immigrants mm-hmm. right or I say welcoming facetiously right and and something we were talking about before we came on is we're a colonizing country or colonizing country right yeah. so this isn't this isn't something new mm-hmm. um and unfortunately there is a dark history mm-hmm. to yeah. and I think that we all as individuals living in this country have to be aware of it yep. to move forward with it mm-hmm. right yeah and I think we can go into that because we just passed Canada Day happy Independence Day right yep. uh, so Independence Day July 4th Canada Day July 1st there was a lot of different thoughts or I don't even know if that's the right word to put it um about Canada Day because all of this has happened Mm -hmm. you know there was a lot of cancel not I don't want to call it cancel culture but cancel yeah what do you call it I mean canceling a lot of people cancel Canada Day and I'm like we this is this is my point we can both recognize what was done, but we can also celebrate what we have. We have democracy. Mm-hmm. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. We live in an awesome country that hasn't done some so awesome things in the past. I just if you but, look at the US, like I, I just exactly. think that there's there's so many countries that things like this has happened and i'm not i'm not something was said to before we get into all of um the rest of the history um again i i'm taking i'm taking a a 12 so when when we post um the podcast we'll link i'm doing a 12-week course through uh the university of our 12-week certificate program which is also free Mm -hmm. through the university of alberta um, so I can better educate myself 
on the indigenous population yeah. because I think we can all learn more. Um, but at the time the uh, residential schools were running, mm-hmm. they, you know, early 1800s, um, you know, into the 1900s, we were still figuring out vaccines, diseases, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of diseases ran rapid mm-hmm. through these residential schools yep. because they weren't the greatest conditions. Yep. Is that right? No. However, it's uh, it's just something that yeah. I was kind of trying, like when this first happened or when mm-hmm. the graves were first kind of discovered, I was just like trying to process it in my own way. And I yeah. was like, what do I do with this? And then that was pointed out to me. And I was just like, that is true. And then I also, you know, I've had individuals in my family who've gone through the in- institutionalized system. Mm-hmm. And like, that's something that I'm just like, that's, yeah. that's, so I just want to point that out that there's a mass, um, the, the care that happened within the residential school system was varied. Mm-hmm. And some of it was extremely horrible and the conditions were, mm-hmm. however, it was a very different time. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Now, before we do go on, what you were saying before with the whole like people have different thoughts and everything. Do you think there's a lot of people kind of hopping on the bandwagon with this? Like, do you think there are a lot of uneducated people who are really surprised, who are saying, OMG, getting really involved right now, and then in five, you know, two, three months time, they kind of have moved on to their next bandwagon issue? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that that's, that's what gets me, right? There's so many people that have been working on this at a ground level who are super duper involved and you've got the masses kind of draining the oxygen but mm-hmm. yeah. okay you ready to get into it yeah okay so for all of you listening who don't know the history of canada one of the first explorers of my nice little notebook here ashley <laughs> so for those of you listening I minored in history. I also took a Canadian immigration course this past year. So I'm well-versed on immigration, which is what we're talking about. So there were a lot of explorers that came first. So the French were kind of the first people here in Canada, with the exception of the natives, of course. So Jacques Cartier, he came in, um, you know, the 1500s. And he was one of many people at that time to see the natives as something that needed to be conquered. As Mm -hmm. something different than himself. As something barbaric. Something that needed to be tamed. Right? So that was kind of one of the first points in which the native population became the other became something to fear became Mm -hmm. something that needed to be dealt with and transformed so that they would fit into what the settlers thought was the norm so the whole residential school thing it under john a mcdonald it started in the 1870s maybe a little bit earlier under the indian act but it really kind of started when the whole um christianization mo like christianization movement to convert people to Christianity started in Canada. So there was a group of Jesuit priests under Marie de 
Il Carnon. I don't speak French, so I butchered her name. But she was alive from 1519 to 1672. So she came over to um, to Canada, I guess. It wasn't Canada at the time, but it, she came over to the New World as a nun. She was sent here, and her job was basically to create a school and to transform the native children from barbaric individuals into upstanding French citizens um, so that they could fit into society. That was her her job. Mm -hmm. That was what she was sent here to do. So the school that she ran, it wasn't necessarily a residential, like a, so when we think residential, we think you stay there. It's more like a day school, right? It was a day school. Um, So these children would hop over a fence, literally hop over a fence, leave their families, run to the school, be educated, be Christianized, be transformed into good, white, upstanding people. And then they would go back home, back to their culture, back to their parents, back to their whatever, And it was the clashing of these two worlds. So Marie was actually, she was actually going against the standards of the church. The church really wanted her to um, transform these children, but she she eventually gave in and adapted her standards um, to meet the natives where they were at, to accept some of their differences and you know, while the goal was to convert, they had to adapt that, right? So they these children were lucky enough that they were able to keep some of their native culture. Mm-hmm. But it gets to that very point about residential schools, about the fear of the other, about the native, that they're constantly trying to change. And that's as early as, like, the 1550s. Mm-hmm. Residential schools didn't open up until the you know 1800s yeah right so yeah um so we'll fast forward so we know that residential schools came residential schools was part of the canada plan which was created by john a mcdonald in an attempt to grow canada um at the time i think it was just upper canada lower canada new brunswick and pei He wanted to expand west. He wanted to expand into areas that were populated by natives, right? Mm -hmm. So the Indian Act was created to have more control over these people, which basically made them wards of the state, right? They were given, you know, a parcel land to live on. Um, their children were taken away and educated to become upstanding white citizens and all of this stuff. And that's really when what we're seeing today culminated. But my point is, is that this happened much, much earlier, right? And this is, it's just kind of a streamline of water, just going right from the, the faucet all the way down the river or whatever. Stream. What, whatever you know um you want to image say. you want to use right so in let's fast forward to 1946 for the natives because this is when canadian canadian citizenship became a thing so canadian citizenship was created after world war ii under um william lyon mackenzie king he fascinating enough is the first citizen of Canada. Did you know that, Ashley? I didn't. He is That's the cool. first citizen of Canada. So in this act, all British citizens residing in Canada were able to gain Canadian citizenship. However, if you were native, you did not have citizenship. Hmm. And natives, I forget the exact date, but natives didn't gain their citizenship until probably the 70s or the 80s. 
And so once again, right, trying to subjugate and keep, you know, this group of people at Arms Bay. So, yeah. <laughs> and even then, they didn't receive, like, they didn't receive um, the they didn't receive unrestricted right to vote until 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's the long lasting impact of sort of uh, the Indian Act and the, the um, what do you call it? What's the word? Um, not division, but yeah, well, division, division of natives. So what's what's the long-lasting impact? So the long-lasting impact is the Indian Act still exists. So the Indian Act was created in what year, Ashley? Uh, 1873. 1873, around there. Um, so the Indian Act basically gives the federal government power over all things native. They're able to specify where they live. They're able to specify, you know, uh, if they pay taxes or whatever else, including education. So one of the long lasting impacts of that Indian Act, you know, residential schools are gone now, but- Sorry, I was wrong, 1876. Okay, but so residential schools are gone. The 60 scoop has passed. The The 60 scoop for anyone that doesn't know was when social workers would go into native communities, take their children, take the native children out and take them to school. So it was basically residential schools in the 1960s. Um, But now through the Indian Act, the federal government still has control of native education. They're still able to dictate funding. They're still able to dictate curriculum. Mm -hmm. And when... So the, a native child, um, if they live on the reserve, they have to attend the reserve school. If they are unable to attend the reserve school, it's up to the band to get in contact with the local school board to have that child go to a public school. But the band, so the native band on the reserve, has to pay the child's tuition for that public school so that they're able to attend. And yeah, so that, that's the education piece. So the federal government still has very tight control over education. There has been a lot of calls for them to create a new bill that would give education back to the natives to um, run themselves, but it's not been done yet. Uh, Other long-lasting impacts of, you know, the Indian Act, Ashley, are the reserves. I know you know there's a lot of reserves up north that don't have running water or health care, right? And just even, like, you look at, so you have all of these individuals who went through the residential schools and the... You know, some live there all year long. Some mm-hmm. live there 10, 10 months a year. And then would, you know, they were stripped of their culture, yep. not able to speak um, their uh, native tongue. Um, some, you know, their their hair was uh, shaved. Like they, yep. they were stripped of their native identity. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, they, they get out of uh, the residential school at age 15, 18, and then either go back to the reserve or to their band or you know go home they don't have the their their mm-hmm. loss of identity so yeah. then moving forward trying to raise children trying they don't they don't have interpersonal skills because yeah. they were never taught them so we we just have like a loss of mm-hmm. yeah we it's the intergenerational traumas yeah. that have come out of Mm-hmm. into a residential schools mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's crazy it is and it's sad it's sad mm-hmm. but so the natives or the indigenous population i call them natives the indigenous population and their treatment and their complicated relationship with the white man let's just mm-hmm. 
will characterize it as a white man. It's complicated, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. And that's the biggest example of kind of the treatment of others by the white man. But I mm-hmm. mean, if we, and this is my point, if we look through Canadian history, none of us should be surprised by this, right? Nativism is a policy of protecting the interests of native born or um, established inhabitants against those of immigrants, right? Yeah. So let's take the Irish, for example. You and I are both Irish, right? We are. We're both white. But when the Irish came over, the British, you know, they they were nativists towards the Irish. They threatened them. They made them feel less than. They marginalized them. They said they were dirty. Lots of stereotypes. Lots of TV shows. There was just a general dislike and belief mm-hmm. that there were too many Irish. There was thought that they brought illness because of the cholera and outbreak. disease. Yep. What about the Chinese? The Chinese came over originally in the early 1800s to build the transnational railroad from um british columbia all the way across canada to pei and this was one of johnny mcdonald's really important puzzle pieces in his canada plan to connect all of canada so these people were brought over they were paid nothing yeah (laughs) like like let's be honest what is but but it was work for them right they came over to work um and you know once they found once you know the government the white man found that the railroad was almost done and they really had no use for these people anymore they tried to cut off well they did they cut off immigration from china and they subjugated this group of people, the Royal Commission on Chinese Immigration of 1885 investigated whether Chinese immigrants possessed, posed a problem rather to Canada because there was this growing fear of Chinese people. Mm. It was pushed by the media and it was pushed by the government and it was pushed by everyone. And they found that the, the perceived stereotypes were untrue, that these people really didn't pose a problem, but that problem just persisted. So the Chinese Immigration Act of 1885 was the first bill to kind of stop Chinese immigration. They put a head tax on Chinese individuals, mm-hmm. right? A $50 head tax that you had to pay when you came over. If you couldn't pay, right. it, you couldn't come over. And that eventually increased to $75 and then $100. They were the first immigrant group targeted because of the racial or ethnic disposition they were their ability to vote was taken away in 1885 the chinese exclusion act of 19 i mean this is 1923 yeah it's 2019 asians were considered undesirables so they couldn't come over they closed the immigration door so a hundred dollars in 1885 is worth $2,775. Yeah. So I read one. Do you remember the Dear Canada books? Yep. I remember there was one. And it's basically. Um, it was like a girl. Came over with her father. Mm-hmm. Because he came over on the. You know to build or whatever. Because he got a job. And they they would leave part of their family at home and send all the money back and which was a very common thing that they did yep yep it's sad it is yeah yep no it is and you know what there is there is um there were a group of Punjabi so immigration from South Asia was a really big thing in the early 1900s Mm-hmm. it still is a big thing and it's starting to become an even bigger thing but during that time there was because there were so many people coming over there was this fear that of overpopulation fear of the other etc etc same thing with the chinese same thing with um the irish we'll get to blacks in a minute because they kind of match up to the natives a little bit 
But anyway, so there was this boat. I can't find the name of it. But there was this boat full of Punjabi men. And at that time, in the early 1900s, being Punjabi in um, the specific area of the Indian continent that they were located in was a crime. Okay. So they were a persecuted group. So this guy got this boat. He filled it with all these guys, with all these other men who wanted to come over, A, to work, but also to escape persecution. So they get in this boat and they come to Canada, except they have to make um, a couple different stops. At the time, in order to kind of close off the door of immigration to this part of the world, the government put in the Continuous Journeys Act, which basically said that unless you make a straight trip from, let's say, Dubai, India to Vancouver, BC without stopping, you are not allowed to touch foot on Canadian soil. I think I remember this one. Yeah. So this boat that made multiple stops gets to Canada and they're not allowed off. There's a couple that are, but many, the majority are not. And it stays there for, I think, a docked in Vancouver for like two months. And they were eventually sent back and a lot of people on that boat were killed because they were, you know, persecuted. But that's just another example of the um, marginalization marginalization of of immigrants yeah so do you know what a desirable is and an undesirable well desirable would be like eurocentric yep somebody who's a someone who's basically white christian and speaks english Mm -hmm. what's an undesirable I'm going to go from your notes on that one. Anyone that isn't that. So let's talk. See, see what gets me about that is I am part English, but then I'm also Irish and German, Mm -hmm. right? So technically, Mm -hmm. like, even as a white female, Mm -hmm. (laughs) see, as a female, I'm undesirable. Um, And that changed, that kind of, it morphed over time because as Canada developed and as the pot of um, British-centric individuals drained, yeah, they kind of moved over to the next group and the next group and the next group. So take Eastern Europeans, for example. Eastern Europeans, so Russian, Ukraine, uh, Austro-Hungary, those were very undesirable groups of people in the beginning when the Canada plan was formed. Mm-hmm. With time and as you know, the government wanted to expand west, but no, none of the British wanted to go west because the conditions were so harsh. They found that these Eastern Europeans who were coming to settle in the west were actually able to um, find success. Mm-hmm. And they were able to, you know, push forward the expansion and the development and whatever else. So that group transitioned from an undesirable to a desirable in a certain sense, as long as they were at West cultivating the land and not in Toronto hobnobbing with the British. That's basically... <laughs> Basically, I like, put how, it that way. I like how you worded it. Hobnobbing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the black population because the black population can kind of, um, well, nothing can really fit into the mold of the natives. But around the same time, they faced some some similar difficulties. Um, so, have you heard of Birchtown before? I feel like that's near us. No, it's not. Okay, then no. <laughs> it's not. Okay, so um, a little pre-context. So, slavery did exist in Canada. Um, it existed when the French first came over uh, with Code Noir. 
or some yeah code noir as in like the black code um and that was basically the french government's pamphlet on how to treat a slave basically it um the first slave in canada is said to be a 12 year old black boy um and slavery ended in the british empire around in in about the 1830s i believe it became sounds about right it became illegal to um like import slaves before then but like to import slaves from say you live in canada and you bought one down south that was illegal Mm-hmm. if a family was moving north they were still able to bring their slave so anyway so Birchtown it was a settlement in Nova Scotia so have you heard of before I go on have you heard of the book of Negroes have you seen that mm-hmm. tv show or read the book I've heard of it yeah okay so it kind of centers around that so after um the war of independence with the u.s there were a bunch of slaves who joined the militia and who by joining the militia they were promised by the virginia governor freedom so they were given their freedom and then many of them around a thousand maybe more traveled from uh, northeast u.s to nova scotia and they put their names in this book called the book of negroes which was then turned into a book and a series anyways so the people that came to nova scotia there was many of them free but then there were some with slaves so the free the free black immigrants formed this town called birchtown in 17 79 i believe 1779 i wrote a paper on it because i'm cool so anyways so (laughs) they formed this town and you know they it's a regular town and there's a whole bunch of different stuff they they encountered a lot of um difficulty and marginalization with the white man as they tried to establish their community they weren't given land as quickly as the white people. They weren't given as good quality of land. Their food supplies and their provisions from the British government were much less when compared to the white people and all of this stuff. So in 1770, sorry, in 1784, there was this town, this town next to Birchtown called Shelburne, which still exists today. Mm-hmm. Shelburne was an all white community or mostly a white community with their black slaves they didn't like a birch town and so there was this pastor his name was george so george was baptizing white people the white people didn't like that they thought he was encroaching on their territory so to say so they attacked his church and they attacked his town and it started a 10-day race war which is believed to be the first race war in at least canada if not all of north america three thousand black loyalists came to canada um i would say 2500 ended up leaving after that race war they went and settled in sierra leone um but yeah, so there were a lot of empty promises there, a lot mm-hmm. of marginalization, a lot of um, fear mongering, a lot of, you know, fear of the other. And even in like, you know, Canada actually is known as this haven for former slaves, right? After the War of 1812, the whole abolitionist movement and everything with the Underground mm-hmm. Railroad. But even those communities face pushback. Oh, 100%. Because, because of their skin color, right? Because of where they came from, um, because of who they were. 
So why are we telling you all this, people? We are telling you this because marginalization of the immigrant, marginalization of the other. I mean, we didn't even talk about actually the, the Japanese, the internment camps of the Japanese, mm-hmm. the Germans, the Austro-Hungarians, the Italians, the Ukrainians. I mean, this is nothing new, is what we're saying. Yeah, and I don't think I, I we're not trying to belittle or you know obviously what is happening right now is very you know it's very real it's very um all of the promises and you know everything that the truth and um was the reconciliation uh commission you know all of that like obviously the government needs to uphold you know all of everything that's in that um commission but at the end of the day this has happened to various we we just said five Mm -hmm. populations this has happened to various populations Mm -hmm. um and i think as a citizen we all need to have a back back history Mm -hmm. because we got here by this happening yeah Yeah. And by knowing that it happened, we're going to prevent it from happening in the future. Yes. Yes. And you know what? It's still happening today, right? We still have Islamophobia. We still have anti Semitism. We still have all of these different things, right? It's not just a native problem, it's an everyone problem. And everybody needs to take accountability accountability and look at it now i mean and this is what some people may say they may say well i wasn't here when you know the canada plan was created and when you know residential schools started so why is it on me to apologize or to do whatever why am I ma- being made feel guilty here? What do you say to that? Um, I, 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 in a way, I do agree with that statement because, mm-hmm. um, but I also go from the fact that the the traumas that individuals like really in all honesty like that the last residential school only closed 20 24 years ago so the traumas that the indigenous populations are dealing with are gonna keep on moving forward Mm -hmm. and technically trauma is felt seven generations onwards Mm -hmm. so i don't think we can just say stop and get over it Mm-hmm. Again, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. I think I think the government needs to man up and follow through with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But I think as a broader population, we need to take into account that this is our history. We do have a broad history. We all are we are a colonizing country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a varied history just like the US. Just like every, you know, a lot of Africa is colonized. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, we accept, you know, a, a lot of the African countries didn't actually get independence until later in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had independence since 1876. No, we haven't. 1934. Okay, got that wrong. But you know what I mean? So I think by knowing the history and by being aware of it, so then when something like this happens, which again, awful, horrible, like, excuse me, no words for it. But like the government just basically saying like, oh, we're so sorry we had any part in this. We're so sorry that there's, you know, and here's a bunch of money. 
what's money gonna like at the end of the day Mm -hmm. yeah i would also add to that that it's not just the government it's also the church the catholic church had a role in this and so far they ain't said nothing they ain't up i will say i looked up like a history and the one church i believe the anglican church in 1993 did apologize for okay. having any any yeah. uh, role in it yeah um however i have but. so many tabs open <sighs> but no i will agree no i do agree with that yeah yeah um i was going to say something else but i don't remember what i was going to say um it's complicated though it's complicated and there are a lot of layers to it and there are a lot of feelings towards it by everyone not just Mm -hmm. by natives not just by you know people hopping on the bandwagon not just by those that have been on the ground since the very beginning everyone everybody has an opinion on this everybody has a feeling about it just do your research people learn something read a book listen to this podcast listen to other podcasts on the history of canada there's some really great ones out there um and just do your research i think yeah do your research and don't i think the biggest thing is right like against islamophobia and anti-semitism and judging all indigenous peoples and grouping all in peoples into the same bubble and you know saying you know oh they just all have a drinking problem and they all have this and they all have that well there might be something behind that or you know what i mean like why is all native housing or why why is there a lack why what's the pot what's the reason for the poverty okay like ask questions mm-hmm. um i think that's my biggest thing is there's such a history behind it mm-hmm. we have such a history in this country and yeah. i think again we've went over we we've dabbled we've we've done a little dabble yeah so it's so much wider though so much wider all right well do you have anything else to add ashley no this was a really fun podcast so i hope you guys learned something and i hope you i'm not gonna lie i was a little bit nervous doing this one but no i think it was good yeah Yeah. all right guys um if you have comments on this uh you can email us at saturdaynightconvos at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Instagram at Saturday Night Convos. You can also just follow us there so you can keep up to date. Um, share us, like us, rate us, whatevs, you know. You know where to find us. <laughs> All right, Ashley. Okay. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>